Welcome back to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, as always, we have Martin Fearbold and <laughs> El Terrible, Terry Chippendama. Uh, so, how's your weekend been treating you, gentlemen? It's all right. It's been good. I've had a friend down from Leeds. Um, yeah, nice friend of mine from university days. Shout out to her brother-in-law, uh, Den, who... Uh, brother of one of my very, very good friends, um, who I found out a weekend listens to us and uh, and quite enjoys it. So shout out, man, and uh, feel free to fire any questions into us. Because it's not like we have enough of those as well. <laughs> Could um, always do more. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not going to complain. That's the last thing I'm going to do. I remember when we had none. <laughs> we were just having to invent stuff. What or questions? Scratch the from same. from. <laughs> yeah. What like Sky? Just invent listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, right, Terry. Anything to report from your eventful weekend? You got a date tonight? No comment. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Terry's out in the pool. Oh. No, absolutely, absolutely no comment. Bear, bear, bear in mind who fucking listens to this, man. Yeah, <laughs> usually it's me getting exposed. <laughs> this is karma. Uh, <laughs> you fuckers. <laughs> So <laughs> it's all over now. It is all over. Yeah, we'd hate now. to dive into someone's love life to make them look like an absolute. Imagine C- yeah, 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 no, no. Imagine, imagine, ma- ma- imagine going beneath to each other. It's the only reason I got married, so you lot can't give me shit on it. <laughs> oh, but we can. <laughs> and because all those all those women out there wanting me. Um, Karina. <laughs> Hi. Hi, I love being on the Goodwin show. Look at his legs, so huge. <laughs> Look at them. I'm on here because I've got special names. Wait, see, I'm I'm not, not, I thought we had to do this quickly. I'm not, you got that date later. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are not. No one's throwing me under the bus today. I'm coming out fighting. I'm like Frankie Gavin. Hey. Hey, and we're off. Yes, Frankie Gavin coming up a little later. But let's go straight in then. With the Josh Taylor v. David Ryan uh, Friday night in the Edinburgh card. Josh Taylor, an exciting prospect. Yeah, I mean, what a fighter he looks. Uh, Commonwealth champion now at super lightweight. Was it his eighth fight? Um, And I'm going to admit that I knew very, very little about Josh Taylor uh, prior to this. I'm quite embarrassed about that now looking at him because, man, alive. He is a fighter. He's a skilled boxer. He's exciting. He's... (laughs) For the first time in a long time, I've actually sat and been excited by a fighter when watching on Channel 5 uh, Friday night. Dave Ryan is a very good test for somebody in their eighth fight. There were lots of pro fighters uh, that I'd seen comments from saying that this was too big a jump for somebody of Josh Taylor's uh, experience. And... They thought that Dave Ryan would be able to do a number on him. Uh, and Josh Taylor is just... He mixes like speed, the pace of the fight, high, low, all the, the tricks in the world. He was you know, ducking under hooks, coming off at angles, and then laying his own shots off. Like, wow, he was something else. I really, really enjoyed that. 
Did you see it, <clears throat> Terry? Um, yeah. So I first heard of Josh Taylor, one of one of the guys I used to coach, a guy called Andy Sutherland. So big shout out to Andy. Um, he's the guy who told me about Josh Taylor first. You know, I was just like, oh, whatever. You know, Scots like to back their own, and I was like, ah, <laughs> whatever. Amateur Southpaw yawn. And it wasn't until I spent a bit more time with some of the guys in the McGuigan camp and they started to talk in, you know, in reverential tones about how skilled he was. And I was just like, nah. It's unlike you to be cynical. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, I I made me convinced. And then Jesus, I saw the guy working and I thought to myself, he has a lot of what Errol Spence has, if that makes sense, where he doesn't box like a traditional Southpaw. Normally Southpaws, it's tricky, it's awkward. He's not. He's just clever and he comes to attack. So what that means is you're just like, you're consistently under pressure and you always have to keep moving. Dave Ryan's not the the slickest of people. So he ends up being a, a basic punch bag. And he, Dave Ryan is better than being a punch bag. But he's bag. a tough punch bag yeah. as well. So for, for Josh to have done what he did, and I like how he went to the body with those right hooks as well, yeah. which, which is a very underrated punch. So I, I'm, I'm excited. Let me take you back to last weekend, and you said you like to break boxers down. When we were talking about uh, Luke Campbell, yeah, it was Luke Campbell. Yeah, um, what, what if you break down Josh Taylor from what you saw? What, what do you see that's exciting about him? What do you see is what gives him? Uh, well, what is feeding your excitement? It's so, there are a number of things. Number one, I like the fact that his jab is solid. His jab, his jab is part of his arsenal. He doesn't just throw the jab for the sake of it. Number two, his punches have a purpose. So you'll see him sometimes where when he wants to open up the head, he'll kind of just, he'll, he'll give you a couple of throwaway shots to the body. So you go, oh, let me get my elbows back down. And then boom, he'll come over the top. And then he'll flip it around to get to the body. And he'll do that so often and so unpredictably that you don't actually know what's coming next. And he did it so well with Ryan when Ryan was up against the ropes. And you could see that he was, Ryan had the guard up high and Taylor was just peppering him. Like... I'm doing it with my hands right now, but he, you can't really see that. But he was just throwing lefts and rights, not with any huge power. He was mixing the pace of them, so it was slow, then he'd quicken it up, and then he'd slow it down, and then bang, he'd land that right hook to the body again. And Yeah. And did you see that little clever thing he did that Lomachenko does where he started to rake the guard down? So, so Ryan would cover up, and he'd basically rake the guard down, so his left hand would pull down Ryan's left hand, and then he'd just whack him with the right hook. Or vice versa, his right hand would pull down Ryan's right hand and he hit him with the left. And I was watching that going, this guy's learning all the right things at the right stage in his career. There were a lot of shades, I thought, of Lomachenko. Certainly, it was the his own defence in the times that Ryan did attack. That um, ducking of the hook and then coming off at the angle was very, very Lomachenko-esque. Um, but, you know, he's a bigger man than Lomachenko and he's doing it just as slickly is like that is an exciting fight. Get behind him. Get behind Josh Taylor. How old is he? What is he like? Tw- early twenties. Yeah, he's XGB 25. squad. Um, so you know, I think we'll be talking about XGB boxers this weekend. Is it an anomaly that he's just come through and you you hadn't picked up on him or um, no? Well, remember he's not part of the machine, so he's been he's been with the McGuigans for a while, and they've kept him kind of bubbling under, you know consciously and i don't know if anyone caught the port put the post fight interview as well if you see how shane's downplaying what what he expects to do with josh in 2017 you know barry's very bullish like stick him in with anyone and shane mcguigan's like uh wait 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 it's the promoter trainer relationship and yes yeah. 
So Shane knows that you need to solidify what Josh has at this level. So he needs to, this all needs to become autonomic where he's not thinking about all of this good stuff that he's doing. And then you kick him up a level. So there's no rush with this guy. Yeah, you've got John Wayne Hibberts and the like out there that can be put in with him. Um, you know, that are slight steps up from Dave Ryan, but would still be fantastic names to get on the card. Um, yeah, I just, he's so exciting. Well, it sounds good. It's just nice to know that we've got not got an exciting prospect, so to speak, who's like 29, 30 or something no, like that. No, that, years. that can get infuriating sometimes. Uh, like, <laughs> they've got like one chance to hit their objectives, otherwise they're sort of finished. But, but the other thing to note, um, certainly in terms of the McGuigan's, and so Shane's training him, but it was on up on Twitter yesterday about, I mean, Shane, if you look at his camp of fighters, where he's got Frampton, Hay, um, Josh Taylor, Groves, and then you've got you know, the promotional side with Barry, um, where he's got the backing of Channel 5. There's a lot that could be done by the McGuigans and with Cyclone promotion. They don't all, you know, in terms of tying it together, Barry doesn't have the promotional agreements with Groves and with Hay uh, and with Frampton. But I'm sure they can pull some strings in some way because he's also got access to Andrew Selby, who appeared... Friday night. Um, you know, he's also had Lee Haskins on that card before over in Cardiff. There's a lot of potential there for Cyclones to build. They're, they're, they're almost the kings of the free agents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, whether they need a stable underneath to build undercards and stuff and build shows, because you can't just use those headline names, but um, I'm sure they can get ticket sellers, which they did on Friday night, they can get ticket sellers from other um, you know, promotional bodies, young lads that can, uh, you know, flog a 150, 200 tickets at an event. That's a very good model to be having. If they can, in some way, you know, tie up the Barry and Shane element and get the likes of Groves, get the likes of Frampton, get the likes of Hay, if there is any way to do that, they will be, in my view, the biggest challenge to Matchroom. It, you know, that is bigger than Warren. Have you got anything to add? On the Edinburgh card, was there anything else exciting that came of it? Anything of note? Um, not from my perspective, just the fact that Hay didn't make it because of the whole poisonous gas thing at City Airport. We, we, uh, we, we kind of, um, so there was a suspected I did hear something like yeah. chemical attack. It was chemical yeah. release. Or something. Yeah, there was a suspect. There was an incident with some suspected noxious gases in City Airport, so everyone was evacuated. And I think David Hay got caught up in the mess, so he didn't really he didn't make it out there. You sure it wasn't just Hay spouting more bullshit and <laughs> Dave, Dave, <laughs> Dave, polluting the air. David Hay like speaks. David Hay speaks no bullshit, <laughs> as we all know. He walks the earth like a god. <laughs> okay, um, so let's move on then to the yes, Martin's favourite fight ever the the Gavin Eggington fight. Now, Martin, you've got some you've got some real good praise for Frankie Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> that, that fuck. Mm. Um, no, right. I didn't watch it live. I watched it this morning on Sunday morning with a bit of a hangover, and no reason to not rip into him there. <laughs> chuckled my way through the entire fight. Um, it, in a nutshell, that fight summed up Frankie Gavin and his career. In what was it, eight nine rounds? That was Frankie Gavin's career. So he outboxed Sam Eggington. He, you know, was able to use his skill set against Sam Eggington. And yet, he still managed to lose it. Sam Eggington dropped him was it two, three times in the end. I can't remember how many. Uh, Sam Eggington showed that you don't need to be a world amateur champion to be the better boxer out of the two. Sam Eggington, um, 
yeah, I, I enjoyed watching Sam Eggington hurt him and put hurt on him because Frankie Gavin isn't committed. There were weight issues coming into this. It was meant to be a fight, 147 pounds. It ended up being 151, I think, because Gavin wasn't making the check weights in the lead up to the fight. Now, he's saying that he was uh, he was just going to be losing like seven pounds on the day or whatever, which he's done far worse before. Uh, and now are the board tightening up after the whole Mike Towell incident? Maybe. But the fact is, there are check weights in place for a reason. He should have been speaking to those board representatives that take the, the check weights, and they ended up having to shift the fight up in weight. This is a man who stands, was he, two inches shorter than Eggington? Eggington's managed to make £147 you know, in that larger frame. Frankie Gavin, his heart's not in it. He he cannot give a fuck about his career in boxing based upon last night. Care to elaborate, Terry, with any more? I, I'm, I'm not a fan of either fighter. The sooner they, they both disappear off the face of the boxing landscape, the fucking happier I'll be. <laughs> I think, look, if, we, if you go back to that, you know, let's go back to the, to the Kel Brook, Frankie Gavin weigh-in. And when Carl Froch was interviewed, and Carl Froch broke him down beautifully. You know, this is a guy, and we still talk about him winning, you know, the, the only world amateur championship we've ever won. Great, right? That's great for Frankie Gavin. But the problem with Frankie Gavin is it all came so easily to him. He's never had to work hard to be good at boxing. So he was always that kid who had enough skill that even if he fought two weight classes above, he could still win. So there was never an incentive for him to go, do you know what, let me boil down in case I get my ass beaten because it never really happened. So now you turn over, you become a professional, but you don't have those instincts of let me really suffer for my sport. So he's never really suffered for the sport and he's always been found wanting. And then you look at him and you think to yourself, why are you still with Matchroom? Like there are guys like Larry Akindayo yes. who deserve the spot Frankie Gavin has a lot more than he does. And now you've got Larry just, you know, fighting to make a living in the sport when he is by far one of the more skilled 147 fighters you could find. And, you know, Eddie Hearns always had this thing of wanting to make boxing big in Birmingham. So Frankie Gavin was important until Eggington came along. And then Barry probably said to him, look, keep Frankie along until we can get Eggington to a point where he can beat him. Then we don't care about Frankie anymore. So expect to see Frankie Gavin with another promoter at some point in the next 12 months. I don't think Eddie Hearn really cares anymore. I think the only other use that they'll have for him is that they'll just turn him into their like higher level journeyman. Like A win over Frankie Gavin is still significant to an up-and-coming fighter. Uh, so if they've got any prospect welterweights that they've got high hopes for, I'd expect to see Frankie Gavin in the away corner um, taking them on. Because I think that's all that Hearn can do unless he releases him. But uh, Gavin was talking before the fight. Every, every sane boxing, you know, observer says about Frankie Gavin would be a far better fighter, would be far more suited, more of a weapon at 140 pounds down at light welterweight. Frankie Gavin's talking before the fight about if he loses this, he'll consider moving up to light middleweight. So that just sums it up. You're too lazy to get to the weight that suits you best. And so instead, you're considering going up. Like, I don't. I, I just lose the will to live with it. I mean, he's going to start having fucking weigh-ins at Domino's or something. It's it's an absolute shambles. But the problem with him is he he. This guy's been you know. There's this myth about him being super skillful. So whoever watched the fight yesterday, have another look at it and watch. <laughs> watch how shit his footwork actually is. So he does all of this movement with his upper body and his feet never move. So Eggington was like, 
you know, Eggington just put the gloves to his chin, yep. stood there, said, actually, look, I'm not going to give you much of a target. Just walked forward. And because Gavin doesn't move his feet, Eggington could close the distance. And because he doesn't hit hard enough yeah. to break that guard. And, and so basically, Eggington was like, this is basically a sparring session. At one point, was it the seventh round where Eggington just dropped his gloves and let him hit him three times in the face? And it was nothing. And there was nothing behind it at all. Like, it was. Gavin is not good enough, like, simply put. And so you go back, was it 18 months when he was headlining a pay per view versus Kell Brook? Just think, when you start hearing all this talk, we're going to talk about it later with David Price versus Anthony Joshua. Think about how Eddie Hearn sold that as a legitimate world title fight on the headline of a pay per view, when actually we all know Frankie Gavin was not good enough for that Kell Brook fight. Sam Eggington's done him. What, are we going to see Sam Eggington in with fucking Gennady Golovkin next or something? It's. it's I pray for that. I genuinely pray for yeah, that. Yeah, let's fight. do it. I, that would make me incredibly happy. <laughs> I, I, I'd watch that on repeat. <laughs> They're talking about Eggington. Uh, they turned down Danny Garcia um, because the money wasn't right. Now, they're going to do something like that with Eggington, I'm sure, because beating Gavin, you know, I'm sure we'll, there wasn't the WBC uh, silver or whatever it was going to be title on the line because Gavin was too lazy to make weight. Um, so I'm sure they were looking at putting him towards a world title. Let's not forget Bradley Skeet did a number on him. Let's not forget he's not actually that good. Um, this was two non-entities of boxing facing each other. Let him the... fight Larry Akindayo, please. Because he's the guy that will shut all this nonsense up about Eggington. He'll make him look he'll make him look like the plodder that he is. He'll stop him. And I'm absolutely tired of these guys. These these are oh, I do five miles up a hill, therefore I'm going to box, but I have no skill and I have no ring intelligence. I just go from corner to corner taking instructions. And I suck the life out of the sport. You know, then kids watching go, that's how I'm supposed to box. And that's not how you're supposed to box. Who's the worst culprit for that? Martin Murray. <laughs> yep. Yeah, let's chuck Tommy Goyle under that as well. Whilst we're not at yet. It. No, no, <laughs> not yet. Tommy Goyle, he can lay claim to some of that. But but I know people like to dig me up, but how good was Matt Macklin's suit yesterday, though? I was, I was slightly jealous when I saw that. Proper man crush going on here. Was it as good as the way you've seen David Haydress in the past? Ooh, God, that's close. That's a tough one. You know, um, I'd like to see what David would have worn on Friday. We've got a half an hour slot of David Hayes fashion appreciation. Suits. Yeah, uh, coming up later <laughs> with Terry. The greatest ever Haymaker t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's move on to Craig Cunningham versus Anthony Agogo. So I'm. <laughs> 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 We've lost him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's do this. Sorry, let's do. Let's do this. We've lost the man. Um. So, I mean, that, that's the best joke I've ever told. Anthony Agogo. <laughs> no, it doesn't work a second time. <laughs> let's start at the end and work backwards. Ding ding. So you're watching this fight. No, no, you are. You're genuinely watching this fight. And the ref stops the contest, goes to the corner because there's something wrong with the glove. And you're thinking, right, 30 seconds and Ogogo's going to take his beating. Fair enough. You know, like Eubank says, sometimes you just got to take your beating like a man. So he goes to the corner and you can see, like, when you've been in the corner, you know when something's wrong. Sims is talking to the ref. He's talking to Ogogo. And then he's just like, right, sack it off. 
And you're like, what? So they stopped the fight. And I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's seen a post-fight interview. I haven't because I was busy. But I don't know why the hell they stopped that fight. He kind of been injured because he wasn't grimacing at any point. He looked like he broke mentally in that fight. So anyone who's seen the fight will see this. I Let's go back a step. Anthony Ogogo was national, I think it was national middleweight champion in 2008. The guy's an experienced amateur. He's a class, he was a class operator as an amateur. Let's not, you know, let's not do him down in that sense. But he was always pretty well schooled as an amateur. So there's certain things I expect him to be able to do. He went into this fight and it looked like a guy who just took up boxing three months ago. His hands and his feet weren't moving together. That was a worrying thing. So he couldn't jab. He could only throw a backhand, but he couldn't set it up with his jab. And then Cunningham must have realized that this guy's going to pieces in the ring because he dropped him. So after this, you can see a girl goes like, I don't need this anymore. And, and basically, I don't know if it was, I don't know if his arsehole fell out. I don't know if his heart gave up on him. I don't know. But he almost started to think about what he was doing in the ring. Like, you know, I don't know, if, you know, for all the people who have tried to box in that beginning time when you have to tell yourself what to do. That's what most of that fight looked like to me. And then Cunningham must have just thought, well, actually, this is an easier fight than I thought. So Cunningham now starts doing his Sergio Martinez, basically taking the piss out of the guy, you know, circling the wrong way and still picking him off. And I'm just watching this going, this Agogo guy, this boxing life is not for him. And I would, I would expect him to announce his retirement. And he won't know it today. He won't know it tomorrow. But within 12 months, Agogo will not be boxing. Agogo, I, I, I didn't see the fight. Um, <clears throat> I laughed at the result. And uh, thank you to whoever it was that tweeted me the result. Because it, you know, it made my Saturday night. I was with friends. It was great anyway. Uh, and then that just made my Saturday night. <laughs> Fuck Agogo. Um, this is a guy who's what three years into his professional career now is it two and a half three years um, after winning bronze I think at the London uh, Olympics this is a guy who we've seen on subway adverts this is a guy we've seen on Strictly Come Dancing I think I read somewhere that he's had I think nine professional fights is it ten professional fights I don't really care but he's done three reality TV programs like that is that it sums up just fuck off leave the sport alone leave it to people that want to be in it and go and like cash in on your fame from london go and do what greg rutherford's doing be a bellend i don't care like just don't play about it craig cunningham you know he's not the world level fighter but brilliant i'm so pleased for him to get that name on his on his cv and hopefully that pushes on for him to get better opportunities um Elliot Matthews was meant to be fighting a go-go for the English title that's presumably going to be derailed now um so yeah like the Sourlands I think who promote uh a go-go I mean Golden Boy let him go Golden Boy let him go without any qualms they didn't fight it he went to the Sourlands there must be a re- they knew there was a reason behind that it's a guy who gets injured every other fight that he's in uh he's had such a stop-start career and fingers crossed this is a stop now because I don't care for him whatsoever. And he's not young. You know, there's this myth that, oh, because he's an amateur, people look at that guy and think he's 23, 24. Ogogo must be the same age as Luke Campbell now. They're both in their late 20s, early 30s. These are old men in boxing terms, you know. And whatever people try and tell you, that GB training is not easy on the body. So they have mileage on them already. So 
look, Spike O'Sullivan, man, he, the, the way he was just taking the piss out of the whole situation tell, tells you everything. You know, Gogo's talking about fighting Spike O'Sullivan. Um, I saw the tweet from Chris Eubank Jr. after yeah. the fight. <laughs> it's like, Anthony Gogo really wanted to fight me. <laughs> and he did the, the roller the coaster watches. Eyes. <laughs> uh, the eyes, sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, there are times when Chris Eubank Jr. does entertain me. That's one of them. Where he was just like, yeah. oh, you really wanted to fight me. What a summary. Like, what a great... I don't know, the ups and downs of amateur boxing. You were talking about roller coasters. But, uh, you know, Josh Taylor, XGB member. We're all very excited about him. Puts on a fantastic performance. Then you've got a Olympic bronze medalist and the only world amateur champion both getting their asses handed to them by, you know, in theory, what should be lesser talents in one night. That's fantastic! Like fuck them both. So, so, so I'm gonna, so, uh, I'm gonna hijack the show for about two minutes and bitch about amateur boxing. Um, one of the things that really frustrates me is how, when I talk to kids in the gym, their only aspiration is, ah, oh, I've got to get on that GB squad. I've got to get on that GB squad, and they never think about what that GB squad takes away from them, as opposed to what you know, it's all about what it gives to them. But it takes away a lot, so you have to fully commit to their way of boxing which is designed to win amateur contests. There is no wider education on how to box as a pro like there is in America, because in America, the distinction between amateur and pro is more just, you're too young to be a pro, therefore you're an amateur. You know, so kids are always learning the the pro tricks there and then. We don't do that in this country. So when these guys turn over, you know, look at that, look at the class of 2012, for example, you know, we talk the the three the three horsemen, so to speak, Joshua, Gogo, and Campbell. Right? These were the the standout guys, apparently. Joshua still, you know, they won't test him against anyone because, quite frankly, he's not that skilled and he hasn't got the the experience in the nous yet. In his case, understandable, he took up the sport late. Campbell took up the sport early. He's not good enough. He's not tough enough. He's not smart enough. Gogo's just soft. Yeah, he's just Plato soft embarrassingly so and people will still tell you that these guys are their amateur background is great and it's bullshit what's really good is young guys being in the ring with other young guys and just working on skills and tactics and so forth until a certain age then you have to toughen up look at errol spence jr he was he boxed in 2012 right and look look at how far he's come he's a legitimate threat at 147 he's done it the hard way why because he trained in very tough environments with pros from an early age. And we don't do that here. That's why I worry about the 2016 boys. And I've, to the guys I've spoken to, I've said, listen, get that sparring with the, with the dangerous pros early. Start to toughen yourself up and then ask yourself, do I want to do this or do I want to remain an amateur? Because there's, there's no shame. You can make a good living boxing for GB. You know, you can probably pull in 50 to 60 grand a year, you know, if you're one of their main guys add in the WSB money, you can make a hell of a lot of good money as an amateur. You could be a career amateur. Joe Joyce might do that. But don't believe because you did well in the amateurs, you'll do well in the pros because there are guys like Oval McKenzie who don't have that background, but they're tough as anything and they can hit hard and they'll expose you for who you really are. I uh, just need to rewind slightly um, to differentiate Anthony Agogo from Greg Rutherford, who is an elite athlete and a national treasure of mine. <laughs> He's a sandpit <laughs> fucking knobhead. Leave him out. <laughs> okay. Uh, facilitate my heavyweight update, gentlemen. Can we move on to this? Ah. 
Right, there's this no huge beautiful, updates. Yeah, I know, but like just this beautiful landscape of the heavyweight and Parker fights Ruiz for the WBO. Thank you. At least we got clarity over that. <laughs> One of those two will fight David Hay, I'm sure. And the WBO will prove that they're the best organized division of all, considering how under the thumb they are to Frank Warren. But they'll show that at least they get their backsides in gear. What's happening with the WBA? They're talking to their lawyers because they realize they can't they can't stitch up Lucas Brown. Because he he should fight for that belt. I would love to know what the legalities around that are. Because Lucas Brown took it to court over the WBA regular title when he was stripped of that after the Chagayev fight. But I doubt there's anything in that framework of legalities around <laughs> if the super title is vacant, then what? So at the moment you've got both the regular and the super ones vacant. I'm sure his legal challenge would have been around the regular title which he was entitled to go back and challenge for. So now this is all just muddied the water horrendously, I'd suspect. But I think Bonte said they want the regular. They, yeah, so he said the, the issue here is we want to fight for the WBA regular. I don't know that if That must you, be the super, surely? No. For Klitschko? I, I don't think you can fight for... Don't you... You go from regular to super, if that makes sense. Yes, like you have to have a certain number of defences of it and then they turn you into a super, super one. So you, can't, so, yeah, so you can't necessarily fight for the super if it's been taken right. away. But then it just becomes a super by proxy anyway, I guess, of the fact yeah. there isn't a regular. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 you so, have, like, so in yeah. theory, this should get rid of the regular title. Or should get rid of the super. It'll get rid of one of the yeah. belts. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we'll have... But it, which it won't. <laughs> they'll just reinstate it in six yeah, months time it, anyway. they'll get rid of it and then bring another one out called the WBA yeah. medium title or something but Klitschko doesn't care he's going to make the same money whether he fights Brown or whether he fights Joshua he actually doesn't care so that's why you see Vladimir is relatively calm about this he's like I'll slap up Joshua I'll slap up Brown I actually don't care who I slap up someone's getting it you know whereas Eddie's there going going to up to year end and I'm not going to have a massive fight really after Brooke Golovkin which I know Martin pulled me up on this but it was a co-promotion with K2 and as we're seeing now with K2 they're tough negotiators I'd imagine a large a large chunk of that money is in K2's bank account if for example Klitschko fights for the WBA super that, that could just call it a WBA title right, I think, yeah, okay, so. let's, let's do that for now um, and he, he is the champion so then we've got uh, has has it been decided yet what, if anything, is going to happen with Fury? Has he just been stripped or is he a champion recess? Or no, no, can he come back he and fight for it? He vacated. Right, so he, so that's it. He just can't... If when he comes back, he'll just join the yeah. join the, the ladder again. Unlike the WBO. So the one, another thing the WBO ruled was when Fury's ready to box, he becomes mandatory. Immediately. That's what the WBO mandatory. said. Yeah. But the WB haven't said that. WBA yeah. haven't said that. They haven't said anything. <laughs> Part of the problem. Uh, and WBO is being contested by Andy Ruiz Jr. and Joseph Parker. Right. Okay. And and we've got the WBC, which has ruled that Deontay Wilder is champion recess, right? Yes. And then who's fighting for the title whilst he's injured? Stevern Povetkin. So then, so and and we're still yet to find out who Anthony Joshua is going to fight between now and his mandatory with Joseph Parker. In the new yeah. year? Yeah, so it's interesting. Eddie Hearn was going through the list of people that Joshua could fight. And he listed everyone that doesn't have a dance partner except for one man. One man was deliberately left Mr. off Hay? that list. Yeah, Mr. SpongeBob. <laughs> 
So, so, and look. So he gets left out in the cold in this scenario, really, doesn't he? Well, he can't get left out in the cold because all the governing bodies know that any fight with David Hayes money. So the governing bodies will eventually just put him as number one contender. They'll just shuffle their rankings and go, right, if you want to keep avoiding him, we're going to put him as number one. The minute Joseph Parker fights Joshua, just know David Hayes next for Anthony Joshua. Just know that. But that's still a year down the line then, potentially, isn't it? But, but look, we waited a year for good fights like after Fury won, right? We're coming up to the 12th, 12-month anniversary of that, and we haven't had a single fight of any meaning in the heavyweight division. Sure. I think we can we throw in can we quickly throw in the whole David Price scenario and if he does end up in the opposite corner to Anthony Joshua Spencer Fearon talking bollocks as usual um, building up David Price to be I saw on Twitter today he was building him up to be a threat to Joshua because he can punch really hard I'm sure he can punch a punch bag really hard but a punch bag isn't going to affect his chin unless it swings back really fucking hard. And that is a genuine threat. That is a genuine threat to. I mean, he wears a head guard when a he boxes speed bag a heavy might bag. Might be a genuine threat. Yeah, yeah. He's got his head guard on when he's working the heavy bag. It's an embarrassing, embarrassing scenario if David Price ends up in that other corner because it's Hay Harrison two basically. It's going to be people like Spencer Fear on on Twitter saying, "Oh yeah, but David Price can punch really hard. He knocked out Hay in sparring." I don't give a fuck. Like we've seen. David Price, okay, you can say Thompson twice, you can say Tepper once, we're on drugs, etc. doesn't matter. The man is, as soon as you pin him with a couple of shots, as soon as he tastes that Joshua jab and a backhand off him, you know he's going to be cowering in the corner of the ring with that useless guard just waiting to be knocked out. Well, wait a second. He knocked out Hay in sparring. Apparently, according to Spencer Fearon's tweet, I think he tweeted it to you, Tell. Did he bollocks? <laughs> so... <laughs> So, David's old gym's not far from where I live. And I remember in those days, like, we all have the same running route because, you know, we, we, there's a nice place in London to run. We all know where it is. Because you're a trendsetter. I, I, I follow. I was, I, <laughs> the, the route was given to me. But basically, so, so when, when David was preparing for Klitschko, that's when Price was there. Guys like Richard Towson, all those guys were all there for that fight, right? And, you know, you have a quick conversation because you're all boxing people. Price didn't knock him out. I mean, like, you saw Price's face. His face was pretty lit up anyway. Like, like he had been taking the shots. So, all this stuff, they all, they, people just have to talk nonsense, man. Like, gym rumours irritate me like that. Oh, so-and-so got knocked out. Show me the video footage. Because we know, I mean, look, David films all his sparring. So, if that happened, I mean, he'd probably tell you honestly, because otherwise it would leak out. There you go. Right, I found it quickly. Uh, you tweeted him. Um, it's a mismatch. People said the same thing about Audley versus Hay. Fearon's response, you may not have seen this because you might have been travelling up. The difference is, at Audley Harrison, didn't knock out at Mr. David Hay in sparring. You don't forget these things. So he's implying that David Price has knocked out... Uh, maybe not David Hay. Maybe he's talking Anthony Joshua. I'll take that back. But he's saying that... Price knocked out Joshua. Even if that is the case, I'm still calling absolute, like maybe bollocks on that. It was probably a 20 year old Anthony Joshua lacing up the gloves for the first time or whatever. It was Joshua, no, no, it was Joshua when he was in the GB thing. Like, like we've, we've just been discussing amateurs versus pros. Didn't Dillian White knock him down as well or something? Right. Uh, that's, that's, no, Joshua, when they were banging on about it before, they were in the amateurs. Something. He knocked him down in the amateurs. Yeah, when then, and then he got absolutely taken yep. apart. Joshua's yeah. a different fighter now to what he was in the GB setup. End of Spencer Fear on hanging on to that little tidbit of information is absolutely embarrassing. Sky will try and sell this as they did Hay Harrison. Like, please. don't buy it, please. Like, 
whatever whatever Shun social it. media platform you're on, whatever you're on, fight this. Yeah, when you see Eddie Hearn tweeting, ha- "Happy to announce Price versus Joshua," just tweet him, mate. You're a fucking dickhead. <laughs> Yes. Tweet him that because what will we promise? We will promise Klitschko. Like, come on, man. On mass. We will promise Klitschko. You can't then give me price. And you're only giving me price because you're so stupid and so overconfident that you gave Malik Scott to fucking what you call him, Luis Ortiz. Yeah. And then you're there going, can I reverse that, please? But now you've got a whole card set up in Monaco, so Malik Scott has to go there. And now you've run out of Americans to call because no one else is as stupid as Malik Scott. Um, <laughs> wonderful. Can I ask? I can't tweet him. He's a dickhead. He blocked me. Do we? Do we see in the next, let's say, eighteen months? Do we see any genuine, exciting heavyweight fights? I'm gonna go emerging. back. I'm gonna go back to that Sky Special, the middleweights with Johnny Nelson, Andy Lee, Matt what? Macklin, Darren Barker. And Martin there always Mike. seems to be some shit politics getting in the way. Those four men could have made enough money fighting each other to have retired without ever needing to work again. That's all they had to do was fight each other. Yeah. And they would have made a hell of a lot of money. They're all hot at the time. And we all watched that program going, yes, this is going to happen. And we all, every boxing fan was amped up about that. None of those guys ever fought each other. Now look at them all scratching around for a living except for Matt Macklin. They're, they're all there. Like, they can't retire now and they can't have those fights because we don't care. And Barker, to be fair, he's retired yeah. and uh, he's doing all right. But Yeah, but he's not, you know, he, he is, he's not sat there going, I don't need any more money. And and my, I guess my whole point is we're there with the heavyweights. We've got the fights that should happen and can happen. And you've got these idiot promoters going, what's the expression now? Oh, no, no, we need to let it marinate. Let it marinate. Fuck. Let, let, let it build, let it grow. It, bollocks to that look Ben Watson Ben Eubank Eubank Watson these fights were never allowed to marinate it was like right you you guys don't like each other you want to fight each other we'll do it now fight yeah Th- then the fights are good enough that we say actually do you know what I want to see that again then you let that one build up and you say alright go and have another couple of fights let's build up some interest in this keep talking crap about each other boom second fight make even more money you know, now nowadays, look at Eddie. Look, Eddie will try and look. He nicked the he nicked the IBF. He he tried to nick the WBA. Then he will try and nick the WBO. And then he, I mean, then he realize he can't nick the WBC, so he have to fight for that, and that will be the only cash out fight that he has. Like I said, the fans allow this, man. I told you, if he tweets anyone other than David Hayes fighting Anthony Joshua. Block the bastard if he follows you. <laughs> slag him off. Put all his stupid tweets up about all these things. Just just let him know that we're not happy because we're not happy. Okay. Wusa. Chill. No, can we make a, an agreement? I've just thought of this. If it does get made, Joshua versus Price, can we make an agreement? We will not discuss it. But we just... We'll, I, won't, no, I won't even preview it. I won't review blank it. Blank it. Ignore it. Like, we'll just pretend it's not happening. All right. Well, I'm going to struggle to do that if both of you don't want to talk about it. So I guess I'm press ganged into doing that. No, we'll review Larry Holmes versus Ken Norton. He's dead. We'll just go back in time. We'll just make a fight up. We'll talk about Joshua Klitschko. What a great fight it was. Um, okay, talking to us um, about the WBO conference that was in 
San Juan or something. Yeah. I yeah. run us run us through that. So the WBO, you know, maybe not the most prestigious governing body, but clearly the most organized. You know, they have a get together every year and they go, "We need to work out what's going to happen with our belts, and we need to communicate this to the world so all the fans know what's going to happen with the belts." Um, and it's always good to to have that. So I think key things just in terms of stuff affecting British fighters, just going up the weight. So Isaac Dogbo is going to go down from 126, which is super feather. Is this even a feather? Sorry. He's going to go down to 122, which is super bantam. And he will fight for a title in 2017. And I say this because Isaac is another example, just like Larry Akindai, of really talented fighters in this country who don't get opportunities for, for whatever reason. And, you know, here's a guy who, you know, had 2012 been a bit more favourable to him, he would have won a bronze medal in the boxing. You know, he's a guy who's given Frampton a tough time, and Shane McGuigan will admit that. Um, he's gone all, he's gone around the world, he's trained with James Tony. he's done all the right things to prepare himself to be a pro, and the guy's only 21 now. And, you know, one of the things, you know, likeable guy, I've, I've known Isaac probably for about eight years, and you wish him all the best. So good to see that he's got a title fight without having to bend over for the British promoters. Um, Terry Flanagan as well. That'll be an interesting position for him because he will have to fight. And you know he'll definitely have to fight Petr Petrov, who is a ma- absolute monster of, an, of a 135 fighter. So lightweight, he is an absolute monster. Um, can't remember who the last fight was. He fought a couple of weeks ago and just looked destructive. Has a really weird defensive style. It's like he's got scoliosis in his back the way he folds over, but very hard to hit and punches hard. So that's going to be tough for him. Middleweight, Billy Joe Saunders will have to fight two mandatories. They're going to let, let him keep his belt. Um, I think Frank Warren's had a kind word in the ear. So he will or the fight. Mouth. <laughs> And then he's got two mandatories in 2017, back-to-back. One of those looks like it could be Canelo Alvarez. So, you know, if nothing else, we can look forward to that if Canelo decides to move up to middleweight. But that's definitely been discussed. And then, as we said earlier, in the heavyweight picture, you've got Ruiz Jr. versus Parker and David Hay waiting in the wings for the winner of that one. Okay, let's move on to questions. Can I give a quick shout? Uh, Dan, a York call this weekend for the main event is Kay Prosper versus uh, Rakim Noble for the Southern Area Super Lightweight title. So uh, I think that would be a nice main event. Um, Noble's got one defeat on his record. Prosper's undefeated, hard-hitting lad. Appeared on two of the David Hay undercards. Uh, but... Noble is one of the fittest individuals uh, I've ever seen like in that of a boxing ring. Naturally very fit, works on it. Take note, Frankie Gavin. Um, Kay Prosper is prepared for that. I spoke the other day. I'm speaking with Keem tomorrow. Uh, should be a very, very entertaining fight. If you're down at York Hall, I'll give you a review next weekend. Thanking you. Questions? Okay, just briefly back to Josh Taylor, who uh, Simon King says is impressive. And he said, mirroring your two thoughts, who wins out of Taylor and O'Hara Davis? I'm going to say Taylor. Um, Davis is awkward, punches hard and those sorts of things, which is great. Josh Taylor has a more complete Mm. skill set and I'd back his corner over Davis's corner in terms of the guys they have behind them. That's the only thing. 
I think O'Hara Davis in the McGuigan camp is a far more dangerous fighter. And I look, I've got a lot of time for O'Hara Davis, but I think at this point in time, he hasn't been tested like Josh Taylor's been tested. So we need to see O'Hara Davis in that Tyrone Nurse fight. If he comes out of that with a dominant performance, my opinion will change. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen enough of Josh Taylor other than Friday night, which, you know, if I'm basing it on that, he's a, you know, an eight out of 10 straight away. Uh, O'Hara Davis hasn't had the same test, really, that, uh, you know, he hasn't faced a Dave Ryan. I think he was scheduled to face Dave Ryan. Dave Ryan pulled out of it to take this Taylor fight instead. Um, I haven't seen enough of Davis being challenged to say that he would be able to do anything to stop what we saw of Josh Taylor. But I'd like to see Ahara Davis over the next six months, certainly. Um, you know, he's moved up into super lightweight now. I'd like to see him, say, in with Tyrone Nurse and actually see how he gets on with that. There's no need for those two to fight yet, as much as we criticise the marination of fights and whatever. Those two are still young enough that they need a couple more developing fights. There's enough other options in that division. It's not like they're at flyweight or whatever, where it makes sense for them to go now. Like, let them go out and have a couple of other fights. It's the race to Tommy Coyle. The, <laughs> the race to John Wayne Hibbert. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, put them in with a few of those lads first, let them destroy them, and then make it, you know, maybe when they're at 15 fights each, that'd be a, a tremendous belt. Speaking of Tommy Coyle, a question, a sub-question <laughs> to that, uh, a question with maybe uh, subtly a little less finesse. What is the actual point in Tommy Coyle? To make Saddam Hussein look like a decent person. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, ditto. <laughs> I don't know. Tommy Coyle. He's a genocidal maniac, is he? So he's fighting John Wayne Hibbert down at Wembley in November. What John Wayne Hibbert, who's from out east. Essex, isn't he? Uh, is he Essex way? I think he is. Um, yeah. And then you've... I completely misread that out east. <laughs> Sorry, Saddam Hussein territory. Uh, no, no. Um, and then you've got Tommy Coyle from Hull and they're meeting at Wembley Arena um, on the undercard of what is heavily rumoured to be uh, White versus Chisora. I don't see the point. These two are two... Similar to Gavin Eggington. These two are two fighters that are doing nothing. They're not particularly going anywhere. These two would be better uh, split up and put in with Ahara Davis and with Josh Taylor respectively. Uh, instead, we're seeing them fight for some again. Like I'm sure it will have the bollocks WBC silver or intercontinental or something like that belt on the line, which will be Hearn's way of manipulating back to a world title shot. For uh, do you know what I mean? It will be something horrible like that. So, what's the point of him? The point of him is to make other people look good. Okay, this one I think you might enjoy. This is from David McGinley. Um, he asks for the top five to ten, but I think we'll just stick to five. F your top five best pound-for-pound -pound British fighters. Oh, Frampton. DeGale. Um, put Groves in there. So this is a no order. Put Groves in there. I'm taking them down. Crawler. Um, Brooke. I'm assuming we're not allowing Fury for this as well, given the uh, recent. I think I think you can. I mean, like, no, well, no, you, you no, can no, throw no, him back in then. Too. No, no, based on that performance in the car. 
Uh, <laughs> that was brilliant. Cause I got high. That's my boxing I got highlight. High. Of the year. <laughs> what, what I love is he looked about thirty stone as well. Yeah, and he <laughs> sat there in Paris Fury singing along. He looked happy. Yeah, well, I don't know if he looked happy or looked mental. It was one of the two. You, wasn't hear, it? you hear all these stories. Happily mental. You hear all these stories about how like his private life's breaking down, and then you get this video that he decides to tweet out and then deletes later on of him singing Afro Man because I got high <laughs> with his wife in the passenger seat. Phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, I oh, so the question is then, Terry, <laughs> if we are including Fury, who do you take out? Frampton, DeGale, Groves, Coral Brook, and replace with Fury? I'd take Groves out. I'm going Fury, Frampton, DeGale. That'd be my top three, probably without thinking too hard about it. Um, aside from that, uh, Brooke, I suppose, would come in at four. Probably Crawler as well. Um, Where does Khan feature in your list? Khan can fuck himself. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It's just... Who would your fifth one? Crawler. I think you have such a muddy water uh, in terms of, you know, Britain's got 12, 13, 14, however many at the moment, world title holders that everyone has can stake their claim. So many undefeated records. Trying to make up a, a mythical pound-for-pound pound list is nigh on impossible. Yeah. You could have, you know, there's probably 15 names. Tony you could Value. Well, you know, by rights, if you're talking <laughs> about who's got the best names on their record, the Macabu fight... You know, looking back at it now, we can criticise Makabu, but going into it, he was a threat. That's probably as good a win as many British fighters have got on their records yeah. at present. Frampton's got Santa Cruz, Fury's got Klitschko. De Gale hasn't really. Is Hay not in there? Uh, not at the moment. Not at the no. moment. No. Uh, you know, if he came back and legitimised himself. No, but, so. you know, Brooke hasn't really got any names on there. Like, uh, what's he doing in there, I suppose, could be a question. He doesn't really have any great right to do so. Crawler should probably be higher up. I'm criticising my own list now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, maybe Tony Bellew, as much as, you know, dislike him, he has a name on there that could put him in there. Um, there's enough... Yeah, I don't know. It makes it so dirty and difficult to do it. But it, makes it, it shows you how, how poor the standard actually is. Yeah, we're putting a man who's, you know, one of his world title defences was Frankie Gavin and he's made it into our number five spot. <laughs> Alright, then quickly, given, uh, his second question is uh, with pot the potential of DeGale versus Gross happening next year, he wants a brief breakdown as to who you think will win and why. Um, So first and foremost, right, for everyone that watched the first fight, I don't want to hear any crap about, oh, DeGale won that easy. I hear a lot of people talk that. That's absolute bollocks. If you watch it again, the commentary is just ridiculously anti-Groves because I don't. I think Groves was the away fighter yeah. in that one. So it was really anti-Groves. You know, Colin Hart's there not giving Groves credit for combinations he was throwing. It was a horrible fight. In fact, sorry, don't watch it again. It's a horrible, <laughs> horrible fight. You get 30-second sequences where not a single punch is thrown. Do I think, do I think the return fight will be any different? No. I genuinely think... Groves is DeGale's nemesis. I don't ever think DeGale will beat Groves. I there's this it's not even technical, it's not I'm not offering any great insight. I just think sometimes there's that one thing in your life you can't conquer. I think for, for DeGale it's Groves. You know, Groves looks a lot bigger now than he did then. He's definitely solidified as a as a man, you know, he's a stronger man, he's more experienced now. He's mentally stronger as well now. Yeah. 
um, I think he would be less reluctant to stick it on De Gale now than he was then. He was quite back footish then, which I think was the Adam Booth tactic. But if you go back to that fight, George Groves to win by on points was 14 to 1, which tells you the boogies didn't think it would go the distance. De Gale was 3 to 1 on to win that fight. So that shows you what an impressive win that is for George Groves. You know, and he went on to solidify what he had done there further down the line. So my instincts are, I think Groves can win, but I also think DeGale could win. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fight that should happen. I'm not overly excited by it based on the first fight, but it's a fight that should happen. But look... How many fights have we said should happen and they end up just falling by the wayside? Well, if you weren't excited by that fight, imagine how unexcited you'll be for this one. Shaz Chowdhury asks, who will win in 2017 if Khan fights Brook at 147? Wow. Martin? Um, Right, so I think it's almost a impossible question to answer because I don't think we'll see Brook down at 147 again. I think after step... I mean, it's crazy if you track the trajectory of these two. So they've both gone up in weight at the same time. You know, Brook to the full 160, Khan to 155. And now they're probably going to be dropping back down. It's how far down do they drop? Uh, Khan... I suppose Brook, everybody has always said he's a huge welterweight. He's this, he's that. I think his easy escape route from now, you know, middleweight is to go down to light middleweight where there could be some attractive uh, names for him. So Khan's come out and said, I will fight Brook in 2017, but it has to be at £147. Now, this is just a fight that has rumbled on for so long being talked about. I genuinely don't know why people give a shit about it anymore, if I'm honest. like, Why do people care? I would have cared two years ago. I would have cared a year ago. Now, they've both gone so far off of their... Their chosen track. Like, don't under any circumstances imagine that Khan fancied going off to face Canelo and planned to, and that Brook planned to go off and fight Golovkin. They've both gone so far off track of their chosen careers that now they're almost like they're two people that need each other because of where they've gone and where they're trying to get back to. It's it's mental. Like, I I wish that people didn't care about it and just ignored it to some extent and let them go off their own ways i don't see brook ever getting back to 147 who wins if it was at 147 i think khan i, I would probably favor because i don't think brook is naturally going to be able to make it down there you know what the, that whole situation is like it's like you know you went to school and there was a girl you found attractive and 10 years later you see her again she has four kids from four different men and you look at her and you're still looking back at the past but you look at the reality going Nah, I'm okay, thanks. <laughs> I mean, we all need to move on. Classic. Big term. shout out to uh, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> and her 12 bundles of joy. So I'm going to get phone calls and I'm going, who's Laura? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Gary LDN asks When did 15 round fights get scrapped? Historian um, Terry. Well, so so it wasn't it wasn't overnight. Let's be absolutely clear about that. But we can go back to the genesis of all of this. It was was Ray Mancini versus a Korean guy. I know his surname was Kim. Can't remember the full name. In 1982, Kim Jong Un. <laughs> I still That's alive. A fella. <laughs> so 
So they'll fight 400 rounds. Kim Jong Un won every one of them. <laughs> you read their press. <laughs> so, so it was it was a fight for it was, for, it was a fight for the world it was for, yeah world lightweight title in '82, and Mancini overwhelming favorite with the bookies. This Korean guy wasn't meant to stick around, but the problem is he weathered everything that Mancini threw at him. Now, basically, the guy's come from Korea, got a pregnant wife, has no money. He's basically told his his wife at the time, he said, look, I need to win this, and I'll do whatever it takes, even if I have to put my life on the line. So they fight. Um, it's, it's a hellish fight. Like, you know, in the modern day, it would have been stopped well before the 12th round because, you know, poor Kim was taking the absolute shellacking you know, if if you go on YouTube, watch the thirteenth round of that and see the beating the guy took. It was savage. He Kim gets stopped in the fourteenth round. I think it was a straight right for Mancini, knocked him out. Ref stopped it. Um, in, in the, <laughs> Finally, stops it, it after he gets knocked out. Yeah, the, so, no, no, the guy got back up. He, oh, right, he, okay. he gets up before the count, and then it's like, no, the ref's like, no, no, you need to stop now. You're finished. <laughs> so in the celebrations, Kim collapses in the ring. A bit like the Michael Watson thing, except with, you know what I mean? And even then, the medical support was poor. So at the end of the, the broadcast, you see them wheeling him off in a stretcher. And the guy's like, I hope he's okay. And the guy's just there, like basically dead in the stretcher. Here, he was in a coma, dies four days later. Um, immediately, the WBC say, we're never having another 15-round fight for our titles again. So it goes down to 12. No real logic behind it. They just made twelve up as a so number. There hadn't been there hadn't been a calling for this in in the in the public or anything like that. They just literally no, pulled no. it out of the as, sky. As soon as the guy died, the WBC were like we're going down to twelve rounds. Okay. So the interesting thing about that was, in the immediate aftermath, Kim's mum commits suicide. Obviously, you know she loses her son, can't cope. She kills herself. The ref at the time, I can't remember what his name is, but absolutely brilliant because he has no hair in the middle and an absolute massive afro either side really crusty the clown style absolutely brilliant but he kills himself a year later because he can't live with it because you know everyone's saying you should have stopped that fight ray mancini was never the same boxer after that um you know he paid a heavy price for that i don't think he ever properly got over that and then what happened was wbc were first and then the other governing bodies followed so by by the early part of the 80s all title fights were down to 12 rounds. That became the norm. Can I just quickly... Um, fascinating insight, by the way. I didn't know that. Um, but Frankie Gavin Sam Eggington. <laughs> I was watching it through slightly hungover eyes this morning. Do I remember the ref giving Gavin a standing eight count? I'm sure he jumped in <laughs> as he was taking a bit of a beating. I thought he was jumping in to stop it and gave Eggington an eight count. Did he? I'm sure he did. I need to double check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch it back. I'm sure it was either around five or six. He just gave him an eight count. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, I'm sure. I say I was quite hungover watching it, but <laughs> it's worth it's worth having a look back. I'm going to check it myself. But I, I did wonder. I thought he just jumped in to stop the fight, but instead just gave him a count. Anyway, John Hulan asks: Is a title shot for Cal Yafai actually warranted? Um, well, that weight is just hard to get people matched anyway. So I imagine if someone looks reasonably credible, they'll get a title shot. So, yeah, seems fair. Calify, I know very, very little about because I don't really pay attention down that end of things. Um, what I do know about him was he 20 and 0, 14 knockouts. Look at Charlie Edwards, he got put in at flyweight in his fifth, sixth fight, whatever it was, for a world title. Um, 
Now Kalia Fai is super flyweight and he's had 20 fights, none of which are particularly meaningful. I've got his box rec record in front of me right now. None of which are particularly meaningful. And in his 21st fight, he's going to be fighting Luis Conception for the WBA title. Luis Conception uh, is a man who is a tough, tough Panamanian. Um, he's been in with like uh, the likes of Quadras um, and lost to him. His next WBC uh, title holder is a WBA title holder. What has Kalyafai done to deserve the fight? Nothing. Apart from he signed with Eddie Hearn. That's what he's done that's made him deserve the fight. Is that he signed with a promoter who's willing to buy a WBC silver title or WBA intercontinental title or whatever route. They've gone down the WBA one with this, so it'll be some garbage title that, you know, he's made the wise decision to sign with a man who'll pay for those titles to be handed to him and therefore gets a world title shot. That's how he's got it. Um, you know, out of those 20 fights, none of them are meaningful that he's got on his record. But you don't need to. Not that weight, certainly. Um, it's poor. Okay. Tony Chambers asks, what do you guys think of the new promotional company, Wham Promotions? Uh, which he thinks is Warren Francis, <clears throat> Andy Ayling, and Jason McClory. Does this mean that Queensbury Promotions slash Frank Warren on the way out uh, will all Warren fighters just transfer to Wham? Uh, I don't know which one of you is more familiar with this. God, let's have a go. It's quite interesting, this actually. Really, I had a look the other day into the um, directorship owners uh, of Wham and of Frank Warren and such like, and there's. A lot of crossovers. You've got Andy Ayling, who's, I think, the head of boxing at Warren Promotions. Um, by all accounts, a pretty snide and odious man. Um, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I'll put it out there. Um, now, he... Okay, so let's break this down as to... Uh, the question is, why is it... Uh, what do you guys make of it? What do I make of it is my guess will be its tax purposes. Essentially, this is um, a, a sideshow to the whole Queensbury um, promotions. Now, if you have a subsidiary promoter under, say, the name of Wham Promotions, um, <laughs> then you can put some of your money through them and you split where your tax is paid from, uh, which means that you'll be paying lower amounts because their profits won't be as high. That's what this is more than likely down to, I would suspect. It's not uncommon within boxing to have you know, um, offshoots of main promoters so that you can, I say, essentially put some of your money through each of them and pay less tax. That's probably what it's down to. If you look at any of the uh, Wham Promotions card, I think their first one's coming up. Uh, that's meant to be headlined by Lee Markham, Joe Mullinder. Is it Harrow or somewhere down there? One of the, uh, the London kind of leisure centre ones that Warren uses. Uh, it's all Warren fighters, so it's got Boy Jones Jr. versus Martin Hillman for the Southern Area uh, Super Featherweight title. Um, it's all, essentially, it is everything to do with Warren promotions, but not uh, under the name and under the banner and under the owners. It's owned and run by nobody called Frank Warren. It's run by, like, Francis Warren, I think it is. Is it still covered in Raynham Steel stuff? I, I would be I very surprised so, yeah. if you didn't see Raynham Steel down there. So... Yeah, I say the long and short of it is, if you had to take a punt, it would be because of the fact that you can split where your taxes are paid from if you have more than one business name. What I find puzzling is, yes, so 
given the way that he runs a company, he's so much profit that he's got to set up another company to split. It. Maybe it's the losses he's got to split <laughs> as well. I mean, let's also not forget the fact that this isn't the first time that Frank Warren has owned. Like Queensbury isn't his first horse at the rodeo. Like he's had many that have gone into liquidation uh, yeah. with losses owed and shit like that. So because that's what, that's the problem Ricky Burns had, isn't it? That that the yeah. company he sued no longer existed. No longer existed. So you couldn't sue them. Jeez. And yet Frank Warren could still sue Ricky Burns because Ricky Burns still existed as a person. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't get out of that, but you can get out of being a business owner by just folding that company and starting a new one. It's horrible. Um, I say that would be my take on it is that it's a, a tax purpose. So the fighters won't transfer, you don't think? The only way they will be transferring is that they will be transferring between which shows they're on. So you can put Lee Markham on a Wham promotion show and you can put him on a Frank Warren show. Uh, it makes no difference to them. They'll still be signed to Queensbury ultimately. It's just it's a promotional banner to put against the show to run the money from that show through it. Uh, and therefore your your taxes are split. That I say <laughs> I don't know that as fact, but I can do it as a fairly educated guess. Do you want to add on to that or not? No, no, but okay. it's, it's the same sort of yeah. thing. You wouldn't you wouldn't add complexity unless it added to your profitability. So it'll be interesting to see where Wham is domiciled. You know, if you start to see Liechtenstein or whatever it is, then you know it's a clear tax dodge. So David McGinley asks, top five trainers, Terry. It's tough because um, you've got to have criteria to assess your trainers. So, so my thing is. It can't be the guys who are hot today. You know, I mean, you you have to have had multiple generations of champions to qualify for this list. So number one was easy. So number one is comfortably natural Beristan, um, probably the greatest Mexican trainer of all time. So he trained both Marquez brothers, Rafa and Juan Manuel. Um, he's had Diego Gonzalez. He trained Oscar De La Hoya briefly. So he has like three or four guys who are either in the Hall of Fame or will be in the Hall of Fame. Um comfortably the most accomplished trainer in boxing at the moment um as he moves into his 80th year or something he you know he's been around a long time um don't forget his he had an amateur background as well where he he coached the 68 the 76 and the 80 olympic teams which then turned into some of the pros that he worked with so number one is easy the rest of them is much of a muchness so my second trainer will be abel sanchez and I'll put Sanchez in there because he succeeded in two generations, basically with the same philosophy. So, terrible Terry Norris, you know, the guy who gave Sugar Ray Leonard an absolute hiding in 1991, along with his brother Orlin Norris, who became cruiserweight champion. So, Terry, um, so Abel Sanchez was already a successful trainer well before he knew who Golovkin was. So, the success he's now having with Golovkin indicates that we're into a second wave of Abel Sanchez success. So, he goes to number two. Number three, John David Jackson. Um, I think he worked with Nate Campbell before, and now he works with Kovalev. So he also qualifies, you know, on that basis. God, we have three. Number four, I'm actually going to stick Adam Booth in there. And that's a controversial choice, I know, but Adam Booth changed the way virtually every trainer in this country approaches training because he was he was the he was the first guy to come in with a real outsider's perspective. He was the first guy to talk about stuff like, you know, prehabilitation, you know, post-training workouts. You know, he he wasn't afraid to experiment. And some people disagree with his training methods. I know the relationship with David Hayes frosty for that reason. But 
you know, Adam Booth, without Adam Booth, we still have old guys with grey hair and tracksuits, you know, telling people to run laps and do shuttle runs. So, you know, he's been significant. And look, he, he, he took David Hay to world champion status in the cruiserweight division and the heavyweight division, you know, made George Groves a legitimate threat. You know, he's done great things. You know, I mean, look what he's doing with Ryan Burnett now. So he, he's been successful across a number of dimensions. I think that takes us to four. So I've got one more. And then this so is like a good Arsene Wenger. Adam Booth revolutionised the sport and he's still relevant. L- less relevant <laughs> now because a lot of people took what he did and ran with it. And then number five, I want to just say the headbangers camp. So that includes Mike Stafford, Patrice Harris and Barry Hunter. So if you look at who's in the headbangers camp, I mean, he's taken Lamont Peterson and his brother from nothing to challenging for world titles and winning world titles. He's... You know, I mean, the headbangers are probably the main trainers behind Broner, Robert Easter Jr. Um, who else comes down there? Willie Monroe Jr. Um, so basically, that's that's probably the place to be right now. I know people talk about the Mayweather gym, but in terms of pure skill and learning how to box, it's probably the headbangers guys out of DC. And then special mention goes to Ronnie Shields out in Texas because he's got the Charlo brothers, Eris Landy, Lara, um, and the list goes on. So... Stanley only one Brit there. Gallagher doesn't make it because he really hasn't delivered consistently. Um, Sims doesn't make it for that same reason. In a year's time, do you reckon we'll be having uh, Shane McGuigan in the conversation? Not by that test because he, he'll need... Like, all of these guys have a body of work. I think, you know, we haven't seen He's Shane... Frampton. He took him from young. But that's not, so, so if we if we compare that with a... We'll just take Barry Hunter, for example. He took Lamont Peterson from like a ten year old. So you're you're going back twenty years. So I think yeah. I think I think Shane needs another few years of actually this isn't a flash in the pan, it's not a fluke. Yeah. And then you're on that list. Yeah. But I think he's potentially yeah. you know, one for the future. Because otherwise you'd throw Brian McIntyre in there. Yeah. Who trains Terence Crawford. Uh you'd throw Derek James in there as well. But if he, if Shane can make a success, you know, if he can revitalise Groves, revitalise Hay brings Taylor through plus Conrad Cummings keeps up the work if, yep. if, if he can do it with Conrad Cummings he moves right up the list definitely in Britain he moves up the list yeah okay so it's time for Argue the Inarguable oh <laughs> Terry's favourite part of the show <laughs> Martin stop pretending you don't like it you love it no I do <laughs> okay so the clock is up the time is ready to go Terry if the last year has taught us anything, it's that the fans love red tape and politics more than a well-matched boxing match. It's the same reason people like porn, man. You get all the action without the responsibility or the actual ball of having to do anything in the real world. So fans get excited with the gossip and the intrigue. You can blog about it, you can talk about it without ever having to watch a fight, which is, you know, it's, it's probably the model Pornhub based themselves on. So look, guys, we'll offer you women with no clothes on, you don't have to touch them. You don't have to look at them. You don't have to do anything with them. Boom. There you go. Give us your money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Martin, you're going to really love this one. Great. Frankie Gavin was unlucky. <laughs> unlucky. And will do well if he moves up in weight. It's the correct decision. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie Gavin was unlucky that his dad didn't pull out. <laughs> Mum, let's fucking start there, right? Uh, he was unlucky that he <laughs> <laughs> it reached new lows. <laughs> <laughs> that, dude. 
can't be bothered. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, really unlucky. You should go up. Brilliant. <laughs> drop the mic. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Right. I guess that's it. Unless you've got a rant you wanna you wanna stick in, Terry. No. No, but just to say, you know, all the people talking about um, Kelbrook and Amir Khan, just to let you know, Bradis Prescott is now fighting at welterweight. Yes, so, he's followed. Yeah, so, so followed. Look, <laughs> exactly. So let's not expect the Brook fight to happen anytime soon. Uh, can't you give a quick shout out as um, it came out last night about Tommy Martin retiring from the sport from uh, a bleed on the brain after the John Wayne Hibbert fight. Young lad, nice lad. Don't know what he could have achieved in the sport. Um, but he had a lot of potential. He was always fun to watch. Certainly that Hibbert fight, it was fun to watch. Um, quite where he'd have ever ended up in the sport. I don't know, but he was young enough that he had a future ahead of him. It's just, you know, it's another reminder of uh, the difficulties in the sport and the, you know, the pains and he's never going to be able to box again. So hopefully we'll get into coaching with Barry Smith as trainer or something like that. Um, but yeah, just a shout out to Tommy Martin, really, that uh, we wish him well. And then a couple, just a shout out to a couple of really, really good friends of mine who unfortunately didn't win last night. So I was brutally disappointed. So Serge Ambomo and Blaise Meduo, um, four years ago when the Cameroonian guys absconded from the Olympic Village, they came to our boxing club. So Blaise and Serge are damn good friends of mine. And I really feel for them because had they been given their asylum a lot sooner, they would definitely have been bigger threats because like, I don't believe Blaze can get knocked out at any weight. And I've tried repeatedly so where are they fighting yeah. um, they were fighting out in Manchester so I think it was a, there was a hotel up in Manchester there was a Bolton show weren't there was there was a Warren the, show no, so it wasn't the Jamie Cox show okay. it, it, was, it was another one so I think it was like a, it was a Steffi Ball show oh right yeah so no so Blaze awesome guy really nice Like I just remember them coming down to us and they elevated everyone in that gym in the space of two months you know the sparring they offered the advice they offered the guidance just a great bunch of guys. And I feel for Serge because if you remember, I think it was Jerome Wilson, the guy that got knocked out. That was Serge. And he kind of got blackballed from boxing for a while. And people don't realise Serge is not a bastard. He's a really, really nice guy. Really family oriented. Just a fantastic guy. So, you know, shout out to him. You know, there's another lad with them as well, Thomas Asomba, who yes. is struggling a bit in the pro game, which he shouldn't because he's so He's up north, good. isn't he? Sunderland. Middlesbrough, yeah, somewhere Middlesbrough. like that, yeah. He's awesome. All those guys are awesome. So I just wanted to say a big shout out to him. Like, you know, these are the the secret faces of boxing, the guys people don't necessarily get to see, but they're always, you know, they're all trying to make a living to feed their families. So you always got to just show that bit of love to them. And you can shove Akandeo in there as well. Ah, uh, La- Larry the Larry Natural. is a top man, top, like he's getting on in years now and yeah. that opportunity is passing him by because of the politics of boxing. He's not had the opportunities he should have. Former prize fighter winner, won it at a canter, at a canter that year. Um, you know, we're probably never going to see the best of Larry, and that's a tragedy, man. Yeah, definitely. Okay, as always, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to all of our listeners that have sent in questions this week. Apologies if we missed any. We've done our best to try and get as many in as we can. Um, but I encourage you to please uh, send some more in for next week, <clears throat> and we'll try and miss them. And we'll try and miss those ones as well. <laughs> Send uh, uncomfortable and difficult argue the inarguables in for these two because they hate them and it's enjoyable to watch them squirm. Well, like uh, you are now. <laughs> and uh, I guess there's nothing else to say, but we'll see you next week. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget the social media, people. You know, 
God let us know you exist. God let us know you care. Get on us. Ciao. Watch it.